<laughs> well, I can't take to part the Euro. If Italy win the Euros and Immobile's top goal scorer, I'll sing the entire song for you in Italian. Hey! <laughs> Myself and Immobile on top. For the best Euro 2020 coverage, download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Quick start car insurance you can sort anytime online, then bounce on with your day. Get a quote today at getsetgo.ie. Shame that will care. You keep it all the fans down. Can we not lock this? It's a fact. I am not playing mind games. I am talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladicci, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. The answer questions on anything: religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you, except for those two, done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you, disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Yes, you're very welcome along to Team 33. The Football Happy Hour here in Off The Ball. I hope you're all keeping well and I hope you're all enjoying the Euros so far. I have to say I'm enjoying watching football all day with fans back in the stadium and actual emotion around it. It has been the breath of fresh air we've all been waiting for as football fans, I think. Favourite team so far, really enjoying Ukraine. They go about things in such a kamikaze way. They're willing to try anything in the final third. They aren't the best team at it, but they are very enjoyable to watch. Italy, obviously incredible as well. Their right wing backs and Spinozola especially have been really, really good. And then France, what can you say about France? They are phenomenal. Really good. Pogba, probably the best player at the tournament with Conte beside him. I mean, if United could sign up Conte, then they'd have a completely different player in Paul Pogba. He's just... He gets to do what he is best at doing and that is just getting on the ball and making things happen as opposed to trying to do defensive duties. We aren't talking about the Euros tonight though. We're sticking to things a little bit closer to home. we got two League of Ireland pieces coming up over the next hour or so. Later on in the show, I will be chatting to Johnny War from LOI Central. He will be with me to discuss Vinnie Perth's return to Dundalk and the shambolic way that the club has been run over the last 10 months. First though, you might have noticed some stickers popping up on lampposts around the place that say Save Tolka Park. Well, they are from a movement that has sprung up over the last few years and in the last week or so, they've come out with a proposal of how to do so, how to save Tolka Park. John Murnock, one of the spokespeople for the campaign, is with me now. John, you're very welcome along. And thanks for having me on. Cheers. Yeah, delighted to have you. So... I think a couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation with Ian O'Reardon about the walking history tour in Dublin, the football tour. And Tolka Park's a big part of that. Tolka Park's a big part of Irish football, especially that area. So I'm not surprised that this sort of movement has kicked up to save Tolka Park because it is a huge monument of Irish football. So I suppose before we get into what the campaign is and what uh, it involves and what you're trying to do, I mean... How did you get involved in this campaign? Why are you trying to save Tolka Park? Yeah, I suppose a bit of background of where the campaign came from, I suppose. So it's essentially a coalition of local residents, football fans, activists who, as you say, are trying to save Tolka Park. It's a near century old football stadium. So I think everyone on board appreciates that. It's got a fascinating history, not just football. There's some very quirky things went on in Tolka Park over the last century other than football. And I suppose I got involved um, myself, mainly as a, as, as a football fan. I am, I am a Shelburne fan, so you mightn't be surprised. But, I mean, as each day goes on, the campaign is becoming less, you know, Shelburne-focused and football-focused and, and broader than that as every day goes on, as we get 
get more and more support. So I came on on that basis. And I suppose uh, to give a bit of summary of, of what we're what we're arguing is for public land for public use um, retention of green space in, in Dublin City around that area, which is diminishing all the time. And we see it as like an alternative, as an alternative vision for Talca we're trying to put forward that it's not just used by a League of Ireland football club. Um, it's used by much broader spectrum of the football community and that it contains community facilities as well and becomes a bit of a community hub. So that's kind of um, our vision. That's why I got involved because I, you know, I support those uh, those ideas. And uh, yeah, but as I said, primarily I was from a football perspective. Uh, it's got got very, very special memories for me, but but it's, it's, it's more than that. It's more than just uh, football. It's more than just Shelburne. Yeah, so I think that's a key point to make here is that this campaign isn't trying to save this area or this uh, stadium for nostalgic reasons. It's not just because there were a couple of European fixtures that were really good back in the day and Irish football played a, a few matches here. This isn't a nostalgia thing. This is a broader aspect to it. And I suppose the elephant of the room here is public housing and that area could be used to develop public housing in an area that is very packed with residents and residents who need houses as well. And I guess with the housing crisis in Dublin, it's something that's going to be an issue for the campaign going forward. So I guess what would be your argument against using the public land for public housing as opposed to uh, a remaining uh, it remaining as a sporting hub? Yeah, look, it's a fair question. And before I come to that, about the nostalgia point, I mean, yeah, it's certainly not just about nostalgia, but it, it is one element. I think it's very important to respect the, the heritage and history, the sporting history of Talca Park. Um, so I, I, I do say it is a little bit about nostalgia, but it can't just be about that. So in terms of what you're saying about public housing, and that's a, that's a fair point. I mean, we would, make a, we would make a few points in relation to that. So this is also about sustainable development of communities. You know, and we need... It needs to be green space, people to, to breathe. And I think I think COVID-19 has taught us that there's more of appreciation for recreational green space. And it's it's public land as well. And public land for public use has also been very topical, um, particularly in the last year or two. And the public discourse, I think, is, is changing in relation to that and appreciative. In relation to the housing, I mean, I'm not sure how familiar, I, I think you're very familiar with, with, that, with that area, but... There's a lot of land uh, has been developed on or is due to be developed on for housing. So, for instance, around uh, near Stella Maris, there Iron, Iron Club, St. Vincent's Hospital, uh, Ross Lands, Hampton, Carmelite Convent, Clonliffe College. Like there's, there's a lot of developments that are either have gone on there or are planned to go on there. So that's one argument in terms of we think it needs to be sustainable. You know, we need space to breathe. And also in terms of, OK, if you say it's, it's public housing, and obviously we would welcome public housing as opposed to being sold to private developers. But the plan is that the land would be sold to private developers because that's part of the data mount project funding model. So it, it's it's not really realistic that it's going to be public housing because part of the data mount funding model, 15 million of it is from the sale of Talca Park to private developers. So th th that would need to be re-examined if that was to happen anyway. So look, we believe there's, there's arguments in relation to how it actually realistically is going to be used. And also we make a strong argument in relation to that, you know, yes, we welcome housing, but it needs to be sustainable and there needs to be amenities around for people to actually use. And that area is already very congested as it is, mm. as I'm, I'm sure you know too. Yeah, I guess if you think back to large developments of areas in Dublin, 
know that uh, is like Ballymun, you know, Santry, these areas in North Dublin, in particular, I know South Dublin's a little bit different, but housing for housing's sake doesn't yeah. naturally work unless you have amenities because, I mean, if you think of those areas, you think of houses and nothing else. And that's one of the biggest uh, downfalls off the area is that there's no community hub. So I guess is that that's sort of what you're aiming for is that the people in the area have more than just houses. They have something to get around and a sporting club and, and, and an area that can really be used as a community place. Yeah, and, and I'll get I'll get to the benefits that we're envisaging with that now in a bit more detail. But just to, to add to the thing about housing and look, I don't want to be uh you know talking like Daryl O'Brien or Owen O'Brien here, like I'm not, I'm not a, a housing policy expert, but I mean there was a recent FOI uh, I think from May of this year, which estimated that in the Dublin City Council area alone there was over four thousand seven hundred estimated housing units that remained unbuilt on sites with development. Uh, development potential so there's actually a lot of land that's there and I would argue we would argue that that, that the land that, that, that those potential units are on do not have the historic value or the potential future value from a sporting community potential that, that Talca Park has so that would be mm-hmm. an argument we would say that is this just an easy option you know like I mean have we really thought about what we're doing here where, where we have an existing facility there that has huge you know historic significance and that can be so much more than it is and we're just going to eradicate that it just seems absolutely crazy to us and in terms of how it's used going forward i mean as i said already we accept that it shouldn't kind of be continued the way it is now and it needs to be far far bigger use than that so for instance we would envisage putting a hybrid surface in there and that it's properly used more readily by the community so what i mean by that is there's a lot of local clubs we've engaged with 10 about 10 and possibly more in the future local clubs um, in the area who could avail of that that facility. You know, for instance, uh, Drums and Home Farm, who are two original tenants of Talca Park. Uh, They are strongly on board. They've offered their support. They came to our launch night and spoke very positively about the campaign. They're crying out for facilities. And and everyone, I think, assumes in, in the football community that Home Farm are this, you know, prestigious, big Dublin Irish Junior Football Club, and they are. But Brendan Menton spoke at our launch night and, and explained how they're renting facilities way out from where they're based because they don't have the space, they don't have the facilities to provide, you know, sports, sports facilities for, for their for their young kids or, or, or young adults as well. So uh, drums as well, who their heritage goes back uh, a long way, and that's drum contra AFC are already on board, drum contra. FC as well have kind of been quite positive about this and, and loads of other clubs who are looking to, you know, come on board with us and see what we can offer. And then with the community hub, I mean, we're looking to open up a pro- proper access to the River Talca, have a community centre or community hub behind the Drumcondra end, which um, is quite unique. I mean, to have a whole end of a stadium dedicated to community facilities and, you know, included in that, we it could be whatever we want, but you could potentially have public toilets, which at the moment is very topical in terms of the lack of public toilets in the city, um, a creche, and we know the, the pressures on childcare in, in Dublin and, and, and across the country, um, a cafe or kind of, and any sort of uh, a venue where you could host kind of coffee mornings for the elderly or for community groups, you know, um, which does, we can never have, have too much of, of them either. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and also a, an enterprise centre, so you could have offices there or kind of remote working areas 
and obviously they're particularly needed at the moment. So there's so much you could do at that end, plus the actual sporting side of it, that it could actually truly become a community stadium because it, it is owned by Dublin City Council. So in effect, it is the people's stadium. And we actually, rather than just using those words, we should actually put that into action and make it a community stadium. Because um, at the moment, it, it isn't really at the moment, let's be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I actually play for Drumcondra AFC. So to get out of Albert College Park and into Tolka yeah. Park would be a, a nice little boost. And well, we yeah, also... Talk about that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were uh, we also played Drumcondra FC. They have really nice facilities. But again, they're they're not remotely near Drumcondra. They're out by the airport. They're essentially yeah. like... Yeah. They're like, it's, it's just... It, they're called Drumcondra in all but name. And that's that's it, really, because they, they, they don't train in Drumcondra. They don't play in Drumcondra. So it really doesn't make sense at all to have two teams like that who clearly come from the same area who want to play there who just can't because the facilities don't exist but um let's get into the actual nitty-gritty of things then so you guys want you you start putting forward this proposal and it's in three phases so i think it would be remiss of us not to mention the current state of tolka park and i've done a certain a couple of videos in tolka park as well being there for matches it's not in good condition there's two stands that are out of use the both of them behind the goals and the main stand needs a new roof as well. So there's a lot of work that would have to be go into this to make it a reality. So I suppose f- from getting t- from where Tolka Park is at the minute to where you just wanted to be, it's not going to be a short-term process. So I, I guess if you want to take us through the proposal of what you guys want to do in the phases of it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'll try and go through it as, as high level as possible, but given a bit of detail. So, I mean, there is a narrative out there about Tolka Park. And look, of course, it's seen be- better days you know, um, it's a bit rough around the edges. But a key point to remember is that the, the, the two main stands at Tolka Park, so um, the main stand, which is the Richmond Road stand, and then the Riverside stand on the opposite side, so the two sides of the pitch, uh, where of the strong opinion, um, belief um, and information we have is that they're, they're actually structurally sound. Now, a lot of seats have been taken out of the Riverside because they were kind of in bad condition um, and both stands, we think, need to be re-roofed. But... If you were to re-roof and re-reseat those two stands and some general repairs, I mean, our costings are coming in about, and we've 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 engaged with industry experts. We've got um, senior architects, quantity surveyors, and estimators involved. So this is not just thrown together by by some local residents and football fans. We have actually, you know, tested these and put them through the, the ringer. So you're talking one point three two five million for the reseating and re-roofing and general repairs for those two main stands. And if you were to bring them up to to um, the Riverside back up to its 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 kind of max capacity, you're talking five thousand eight hundred seats from those two stands alone to those two existing structures. So that's that's not actually a massive investment. It's not a massive amount of work, and you know, capacity wise, in terms of you know, obviously for the local clubs, it's it's definitely fine. And for the League of Ireland clubs, I mean, five thousand eight hundred seats in itself is mm-hmm. very good. So. I mean, that, that's one point. Um, in terms of what we're looking to do um, in later phases, you know, you're looking at demolishing or potentially looking at demolishing the uh, contra end for that community facility, which I talked about. But I mean, the benefits you would get from that community facility would be enormous. And, you know, you would actually would generate income on an ongoing basis as well with the, with the kind of business going in there and also the pitch wood with local clubs, that kind of low rental cost um, paying for the update you know, the ongoing upkeep of it as well. Uh, and then we're, we're proposing um, a modest 840-seater stand at the Bally Buck end. 
uh, and also providing for an access route behind that as well. Um, and within that, there's some changing facilities and catering facilities and that and that kind of thing too. But I mean, yes, Tucker Park is not in its best state, but I mean, I, I think it's kind of just, it's, it's been let, um, the narrative has been left formed that Talker Park has to be completely bulldozed. And I, we just don't see that that's the case. And, and no one has been able to prove to us otherwise that, that actually is the case. But it's a convenient narrative because it, it, it reduces uh, the uh, idea that we should have not two stadiums, only one stadium on the north side of Dublin. And that knocking down Talker would fund the, the new build of, of Dalyman and Park. So... Um, yes, to answer your question, it needs a bit of work, but to get it up to a decent standard, it's not going to be exorbitant amount of money. And where is that money going to come from? That Would that be Dublin City Council? Would there be funds? Is there an investor that you might have on board or where do you expect to get that? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's a, it's a remiss to not bring Dademan Park into the conversation here because, you know, we are making the point that Two, two refurbishments of, of those two stadiums, Soccer Park and Dainham Park, two historic and really important stadiums in Irish sporting history, but you know, over two centuries between them of, of stories to tell. We are asking questions about the Dainham project in the sense that initially it was a meant to be a 10,000 seater category four and um, 20 million cost stadium. And now it's gone to a cost of 35.6 million before even a shovel has been put into the ground or between before uh, design has been finalised, it's going to be a 6,000-seater stadium and, and it's going to be a Category 3 stadium. So we're asking the question, firstly, is that is that value for money? You know, and, and in the process, which wasn't originally um, part of the deal as well, was that Talca Park has to be sold to fund that rebuild, which, which was, was kind of an add-on. So, I mean, we're asking the question, is that is that value for money? And especially when you're going from two potentially really valuable historic community stadiums to one um, and it's not even a redevelopment it's actually a, a new build it's a complete demolition and new build and you're losing a bit of heritage there as well but it's being completely new build so I mean our proposal is that is is honest and it's realistic from a cost perspective in that we're not looking to to go to the massive expense of a complete demolition and new build it's, it's refurbishment of both and trying to keep both of them alive so in, in terms of cost we're kind of looking at that cost in total to the taxpayer might come out at roughly the same. But in terms of where the sources would be, similar to in some cases to what the funding would be for daily mounts. So you're talking about the large scale sports infrastructure fund, um, development levies, including from intensive developments nearby, uh, potentially some co-op based fan investment. Um, and also there's a post COVID-19 recovery strategy plan that Dublin City Council have, and we would look to maybe get funding from that too. Um, there's also what's called an Irish Immigrant Investor Programme, which we've, which we've looked into, and me, JAA, have actually um, have used that and tapped into that as a funding source. Uh, we would look at the rentals I talked about for the, you know, as part of the community facility and that, you know, local sports clubs, instead of, of home farm paying their rent to, you know, further out from where they're based and possibly at a higher cost, that they would give some minimal rent to... Um, you know, to keep up for the general upkeep of the stadiums as well, because that's been a concern about the, the cost of maintaining two stadiums, but you could actually possibly make them um, self-sufficient on an ongoing basis. And mm -hmm. then lastly, like in terms of an anchor tenant, we would see Shelburne as an anchor tenant of Talca Park. And likewise, that Bohemians would con continue to be an anchor tenant of, of Dalyman Park. So look, we think it's it's realistic and, and honest um, and that the benefits you're getting out of keeping those two stadiums alive is enormous.
Mm-hmm. And what's the estimated cost roughly, do you know, for the the three phases? Sorry, yeah. So we have costed it at between a total of uh, 10.1 and 13.8 million. And the 10.1 is um, including a 10, 10% contingency and a 13.8 is up to a 50% contingency. So we've actually, we've, we've put our hands, you know, cards on the table and said, look, contingencies are going to come in here potentially as high as 50%. But even in that scenario, you're talking less than 14 million um, mm-hmm. for that refurb because it is a refurbishment as opposed to like a, a rebuild and redevelopment. That's how we would see it. Okay. And I suppose this is a question for further down the line, but it, it has to come into it as well when you're thinking about it. In, in terms of it, it being a community stadium, so Shelburne Women's, I believe, would play here as well, as well as Home Farm, potentially Drumcondra. Most football games are on at the weekend. So how would it be divvied up in that sense? Can you envisage a, a sort of a, a backlog of uh, people wanting to use it? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you touched on the women because I wanted to get to that as well. And we have that in our proposal very clearly that we, we do have concerns about that because at the moment, um, Shelburne um, men's first team and uh, women's national league side play out of Talca Park. Um, I know Bohemians, generally speaking, their their men's first team play in Dalyman Park and their and their women's uh, national league side play out of Oscar Trainer um, Oscar Trainer Road. So we also are understanding that the WNL side hasn't really sides haven't really been considered in terms of the, the move to Dalyman Park, and we would we would strongly have have major fears that the uh, WNL sides would be forgotten in all this and they'd end up playing in substandard venues and. Women's game has come on massively in the last couple of years, and it would be a massive step backwards if that was to happen. So that would be a concern we would have. In terms of how uh, you would divvy it up and how it would be used by the local clubs, I mean, we have to remember, we'd be going from a scenario where they're not used at all by these local clubs um, to potentially having, say, if it was a hybrid pitch, 30 to 40 hours a week. And that would be, you know, if you have, say, a team training, you could have multiple teams t- teams training on that surface, you know, divided mm. four or three or, or whatever way you divide it up. So obviously that would take a bit of, a bit of management. But if you think you could have, as I said, 30 to 40 hours, but that's obviously could be multiplied depending on the, the, the use of the surface um, during the week for training and stuff like that, uh, you would get many multiples of that. And that would give much more than what we're getting now, which is, as you said, teams playing out by the airport that are from Drumcondra, which is just madness. But yeah, at the weekend, it would be more of a challenge in terms of uh, matches for junior clubs, obviously. And that's how it's managed in, as you know yourself, Albert College or St. Anne's Park, where the certain teams share pitches and one team's on at 12 o'clock and other teams at two o'clock. I mean, you would have a similar thing to that. Now, you might be, people might be fighting for the best slots, but I mean, it's certainly workable. And considering what we're, what we have now um, to have teams playing in a stadium like Talca Park compared to St. Dan's Park is, um, mm-hmm. is a much better option, we would think. Yeah. I didn't want to dismiss the nostalgia element earlier when I was talking oh, about it. Okay. So let's get into the nostalgia element of it because I guess for Shelburne fans, this means the world because it's the home for many of them of where Shelburne come from and those European nights in the early noughties and the successful Shelburne years, they may not be as successful as they are now, but they were, it definitely still means something to them. And even if you think back to last year, the year before that, when they got promoted to the Premier Division and the celebrations on the pitch afterwards, it still holds a a deep part of people's hearts. So I guess 
that is something that you want to restore and keep a hold of as well because as Dublin develops even further, hotels keeps just seem to keep coming up and different. It's losing its soul a little bit. So I, I feel like maybe Tolka Park should be part of the the thinking in people's minds for keeping a bit of soul in North Dublin as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, and again, like obviously the, the latest chapter in Tolka Park is largely centered around Shelburne. Um, they moved there in 1989. So for, for for myself as a Shelburne fan, that's the only it's the only home I know. And for obviously people who um been sporting Shelburne longer than me, like it's the stadium that they've gone to the most because Shelburne have been playing there for so long. Um, so obviously it's very special in that sense. Uh, but we are we do want to stress that we we do feel it's a lot bigger than that. I mean, like Tucker Park is nineteen twenty four was the first match played in Tucker Park. Um, so we're talking nearly a century. So you know, there's a massive history there, and I think. We talk about practice tends to be this accepted narrative that, oh, well, it's not that significant, you know, compared to Lansdowne Road or, or Dalyman Park. But we would like we would strongly argue against that. And it's been kind of let happen that Talca Park has kind of been dismissed in terms of its, its heritage. And we're trying to talk about it more and more. I mean, you go back to the great drum sides of the 40s, 50s and 60s, as I mentioned, home farm as well. Like there's been cup finals, uh, senior and junior. There's been internationals, uh, men and women. Uh, there's been rugby league, World Cup internationals. There's been Arkle paraded around the, the turf of Talca Park. There's been the Harlem Globetrotters. I mean, the history is incredible. There's been boxing bouts there. So, I mean, just to eradicate that, I mean, what's that saying about us? As you say, the soul of Dublin. If we just say, okay, well, that's the easy option. Let's just bulldoze this amazing place of of incredible heritage. It's I mean, it was, it was just, and the, the phrase has been used. It was on the Irish Times uh, newspaper headline, and it was from uh, Shane Dawson, who's a part of our campaign, and he referred to it at our launch night as cultural vandalism. And that, that's how we would see it. And it sounds very dramatic, but I mean, that's that's a strong as we feel about it. And as I said, it's got a lot of history, but I think that what we could actually have for it in the future could be actually even better. What's the next steps, and how do people get involved in the campaign? And what is what is the, the next steps essentially for this this campaign, save Tolka Park? Yeah, I mean, like we only launched uh, this day last week, so it's quite new. Obviously, we, we've been in working on our plans. We have a very very detailed proposal on our website on on savetalkapark.com. So we've been building to that. We've been uh, talking to local residents, um, individuals, and residents groups, uh, local clubs, uh, local representatives you know, councillors, TDs, senators, etc. Um, so there's been a lot of engagement going on and we're going to continue to engage. Uh, we've met with pretty much almost all of the political parties and independents as well, um, trying to sell what our what our vision is. So we have a petition of about 4,000 people now at this stage. That's growing as well. We have a tool on our website for people to, to send... Uh, emails and correspondence to their local representatives, be it within Dublin City Council or, or otherwise, uh, to argue against the, the sale and the rezoning of Talca Park, because I, I said Talca Park is currently zoned um, as a recreational green space, and the plan is for it to be rezoned and then sold to private developers. So we would strongly be encouraging um, Dublin City Councillors to, to abide by their own principles they've set. So there's what's called the Dublin Agreement, which was signed in 2019, which basically puts a stop on the sale of, of public land unless there's an extraordinary circumstance or case to be made. And there's precedents where um, 
proposed sales have, have been rejected. So that's what we're strongly looking to push back on. Um, and it's not just a, a, a proposal to push back on and say, well, let, let's keep the status quo. We're also coming to the table with a realistic plan and with far greater use for the community, both sporting and otherwise. So, um, I mean, people want to get involved. You can get in touch with us, safetalkabark.com. There's, as I said, there's contact information there. There's social media links. As I said, there's a petition we'd love people to sign. Uh, and we've got great support from not just, as I said, uh, Shelburne fans or even the junior clubs or local residents, etc. We've also got great support from across the League of Ireland base as well. You know, people who've fans of different clubs who've had great, great nights in Tolka and that they just appreciate that the history of the place as well. So, you know, get in touch with us um, via our website and social media and look, um, talk, you know, campaign or canvas and, and lobby your local, your local TDs and councillors and say that we should be saving this, this immunity. Good stuff, John. Thanks very much for joining me today. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, you can get on uh, the Save Tolka Park website or I'll drop a link in the podcast below and on the social channels as well. I shared that on Team 33 as well. John Murnock, thanks very much. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. Now we're sticking with the League of Ireland here on Team 33 because Vinnie Perth has made a remarkable return to Dundalk. Having been sacked by the club 10 months ago, he has been reappointed as the head coach of the club. Johnny Ward from LOI Central is with me. Johnny, it's been a right mess for Dundalk over the last year or so. And here we are back at square one. Yeah, and uh, you know, you said 10 months, like the, la- the last 12 months have been like, what an example of how not to run a football club. Um, when you think of the hegemony of Cork City and Dundalk challenging for league titles and FA Cups and getting into Europe regularly and being the dominant force for three, four or five years or whatever it was, um, and how they've, absolutely wrecked the situations they were in. Cork City struggling at the bottom of the first division, albeit they're trying to rebuild, but you can have too much of of a good thing, I suppose. Dundalk have had um, money that's really, you know, if you if you combined all the other League of Ireland teams and gave them the money that Dundalk have and allowed them to divide it among themselves, they'd be absolutely delighted with it. They've untold riches from the two European group stages they've gotten into. Um, they've absolutely made a mess of the situation there. You know, they've had an appallingly bad season, 17 points from 15 games. Um, and it's amazing to think that when Vinnie Perth left, you know, 10 months ago, that things would have gotten as bad as as they have because you know by all accounts the dressing room was if not lost at that situation Vinnie Perth had, had probably lost confidence with some players and um, but he comes back to a situation that makes that look like some sort of utopia almost has become that bad and um, how this will work out I mean you'd have to be skeptical but um, as I said during the week I don't know can things actually get any worse uh, at the same time so for Vinny um, he goes into a position where I, I wouldn't begrudge him the job but um, it just shows how ridiculous the club are really that they've come to this I had to double and triple check that this was actually just 10 months because if it feels much longer than that you know when Vinny Perth is sacked by the club and then this unknown Filippo Giovagnoli gets a job and then Shane Keegan gets a job because Filippo doesn't have his proper coaching badges and then uh, they're sacked and they're gone and now we're back to square one and it feels like a lot longer since Vinnie Perth was actually sacked than just 10 months ago and it's amazing that we've gotten to this point with Dundalk and it does you know it sort of reeks off owners who have taken over this club and you know they're not necessarily in touch with what's going on in the country because they're not in the country yeah um you know it's 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 been pointed out that like there have been a lot of kind of boom to bust scenarios in the League of Ireland you're thinking of Cork City back in the day, Drogheda United, Shelburne and so on. But they were, 
you know, there were maybe there there were some reckless things that happened there, but th- there's nothing compared to this. I mean, Dundalk had so much money, as much as, and and still have a lot of money, as much as they had to pay bonuses for the European stuff. They just had to manage the situation. They were the outstanding team in Ireland, and even the, though they didn't win the league last season, as long as they're still challenging and they're not going to be all that upset. Um, but the, the situation from when Peak Six came in, and you know, when you think of the criticisms Peak Six was getting over not investing in Oriel Park and various other things, and you know. Maybe the likes of Mike Trace even, um, you know, a little bit hot-headed at times compared to the situation now where it's basically being kind of left as some sort of a like a family kind of run club. But the family being, you know, an aging American who, who probably doesn't really understand the situation very well. And um, I think Vinnie Perth understood that he had a something of a relationship with Bale and decided that it was in his best interest to see if he could go back in. And Jim Jilton, who looked like he was getting the job with Dave Rogers, hasn't really, you know, overseen any dramatic change. I mean, to be losing at home to Waterford 3-1, Waterford had scored four goals all season before that was absolutely pathetic. Um, the Dundalk players haven't haven't been performing consistently at all um, and they do have questions to answer themselves, but it's quite well known that um, they would have had issues with Vinnie Pert. So, it's like Vinny is like it's it's almost like being kicked out of a job, um, you know that you were really really annoyed about, um. But the twelve months since have been so kind of barren that you just thought, well, you know, this is actually the lesser of two evils, and I'm I'm going to go back here. It's you, know, you could you just couldn't make up what's happened. Mm. Let's talk about Jim Magilton then, because he is the man on the ground for Dundalk essentially, and I guess if you look at the the structure of the club a lot of the decisions would have actually been coming through him. So how much is this falling at the door of Jim Magilton, the fault of what's gone wrong? Because, I mean, they've lost countless really good players over the last couple of years. No no mention, or not just to mention the, the two players that have signed for Shamrock Rovers, their main rivals, and Sean Hoare and Sean Gannon, because of contract issues and because they, the club weren't forking out the, the lengthy contracts that Shamrock Rovers have been. So Jim Magilton, does he have questions to answer here? Yeah, like, and, and in fairness, you know, he was sort of overseeing things. Um, you know, he, he probably would have clashed with the Italian guys who were in there. And, you know, he they were answerable to him. He's been grossly undermined by what's happened here. Um, he went from a position saying that he wasn't going to get the job and he wasn't in the running uh, to get the job after a couple of favourable results, which were obviously huge results if he... Pats and the Beast, Shamrock Rovers. Um, he went in then the position to kind of put himself in the running, and it looked like he was getting the job with Dave Rogers. But um, I, I find it hard to. I mean, you know, he, he's on a contract there, Tundog. He's probably on decent enough money, I'd imagine. Um, but in terms of his professional integrity, it'll be very, very hard for him to continue with Vinnie Perth there. I mean, clearly the, the, there's going to be a clash. I mean, unless they pr- perform some amazing turnaround in terms of you know, the personalities involved and uh, of what's gone on in the last few weeks. I don't know how Jim Magilton stays there. I mean, all these people that have left since he joined and the players haven't responded to this management setup at all. Dundalk have, have produced some completely pathetic performances against Bowes and Watford, notably. Um, so I don't know where Jim Magilton goes from here, to be honest, but it's a it's a club that sadly has lost an awful lot of individuals from um, a playing um, point of view is one thing, but since you know the the owners um, Paul Brown and Martin Connolly after the Euro- Europa League run of 2017, since they kind of relinquished control, um, you know the loss of Harry Taft so tragically, the heart has gone out of the club. I think, and I wonder when fans are back, I'd say the atmosphere will be septic at Oriel unless things improve on the pitch. And uh, I think the two things kind of go hand in hand, to be honest. 
Yeah, I mean, there's been protests already outside Tulk or outside uh, Oriel Park in Dundalk, and that's without fans being allowed into the stadium. So you can imagine the the likes of the shed end will not be too quiet when things come around and fans are fully back into the stadium. So it's an interesting one for Dundalk. But I guess on the pitch, I mean, they have the squad there. There's this is not an eighth place side. Dundalk with the likes of Patrick McElhenney, Michael Duffy, all the players that they have at their disposal. They're not an eighth place side. They're not they are much better than that. So I wonder how much of that is down to the management or how much is down to the fact that, you know, maybe they they don't see a future with Dundalk. Maybe they're like Sean Ho or they see Sean Gannon and they're like, why why would I bother putting everything into this club when, you know, there's other clubs down the road that will bring me success and also treat me better. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously those players leaving. They weren't offered long-term contracts. And I I get the feeling that um, some of the players there, if they're sort of already thinking of where they'll be next season. Um, but this was, you know, I, like f- when Filippo Giovagnoli was brought in, like that was a massive, massive red flag. If you, if you were to bring in, and I, I say this seriously, if, if you brought Jose Mourinho into the League of Ireland, it would take him a while to get to know the idiosyncrasies of it. It, it is a unique league. But to bring in a guy from the US who had didn't even have his badges, had never coached a senior level, um, and despite the fact that they did well in Europe, I mean there was an, there was a bit of a bounce that the I think the players kind of took responsibility. They they played they, they did an extremely lucky run to get to the Europa League group stages, and they kind of realised that there was you know there was something there for them if they got there, and that was fair enough. But like the fact that Giovagnoli was was brought in was such a red flag. Then he was kind of more or less offered the job more or less um, that was another red flag and you know this, this club has just been run into the ground they, they brought in the strange thing is the players they brought in from um, all these different nationalities I think they brought in five or six if not seven new nationalities into the into the one dress room like that's absolutely crazy to do that it just upsets the rhythm of things but they're actually talented players and I wonder now who Vinnie Perth will want to play for him will he Will he trust the players who probably didn't want him there in the first place? Or will he try to earn the trust of these new non-national players or new players that were brought in? Because um, Vinny is going to have a difficult, difficult challenge. He's going into a dressing room that's a mess. You look at Finn Harps and Drogheda, the resources they have, but they have very together dressing rooms. And both of them are headed Dundalk on the table, which is absolutely shambolic from Dundalk's perspective. But this is going back to last season when they were poor for much of the league. I think in Europe they achieved very little getting to the Europa League group stages. They were taking on poor teams and they sort of performed together. But by and large, over the last year, they've been rubbish compared to what they were. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what it means for Brian Gartland as well, because obviously when he, or when Vinnie Perth was last at the club, he fell out of it. And then when Filippo took over, he was straight back in and sort of earned his, his place back in the starting lineup. So he's obviously a, a key man for them as well. And before we finish up with Dundalk, what do you think this means for ownership within the League of Ireland? Because if you think back now, even just the recent uh, takeovers with Lee Power, Waterford, now that's that's coming to an end and the, the club is definitely in a worse place. Or, well, I wouldn't say it's in a worse place, but it's not any better than it was when he, he took over. Then Cork City, obviously, with their financial issues over the last couple of years, and now Dundalk, like, is should there be more? I don't know, t- tighter scrutiny over these owners and what they achieve with the club, and then what they do with the club after they they do like after they get what they what they wanted to take out of it. Because it, it feels like Dundalk owners, the pick six, have gotten what they wanted out of European football, and now they're sort of it's sort of a toy that they want to toss aside. 
Yeah, but the, you see, like in fairness to Peak Six, and it must be said, like Peak Six honored contracts during the pandemic, and I think that they really, you know, the 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 body need, really needs a lot of um, kind of kudos for that because it would have been easy. I think a lot, and I think a lot of clubs were quite happy to put players on on the PUP and so on and and make us um, run prudently. But like I've made this point several times, League of Ireland clubs are not expensive to run. We have a very very wealthy country in Ireland. Uh, we have very high wages in general across the, the sector of work um you know and the rewards are there you look at the money Shamrock Rovers are getting just to get into Europe um and you know the rewards are even there in the conference league you can run a league of Ireland club extremely prudently Dundalk um have not done that Cork City did not do that they did a squad that was completely bloated they put way too much money into the playing staff budgeted on a on a season that they didn't have you look at what you know the way Bows are run and some other clubs are run Sligo Rovers you can do this prudently and compete um and if you do have a lot of money look after it I mean, you don't, obviously the players would want more money, but you can still manage the situation better. Dundalk have a ridiculously big squad that is, you know, for the, the bang that they're getting for their book is absolutely absurd. But don't let this, um, you know, suggest that you can't run a League of Ireland club and be successful. You know, the Dundalk have been in two European group stages in the last five years. That is incredible. I mean, to, to actually achieve that is so, so difficult. Yet they've completely blown that that position of ascendancy. And, you know, the the... the the ascendancy Dundalk had, I remember Shamrock Rovers back 10 years ago now when they got to the group stages of the Europa League. There was genuine fear and a lot of other fans of other clubs were saying, Shamrock Rovers won in Belgrade. Like That was one of the proudest nights of my life as a sports fan to see League of Ireland team do that. But other clubs fans were saying, we don't want that because Shamrock Rovers now dominate. What's the dividend for Longford Town and St. Patrick's Athletic? And that was a fair point. But Rovers didn't dominate from that position, which was one thing. But Dundalk had millions. They had millions. And the third last in the table at the moment, they had have had like a managerial merry-go-round that you couldn't write in a book and they don't seem to be going anywhere uh, on the field and worst of all the worst thing about this is the loss of personalities that were involved in the club because why would you volunteer for Dundalk at the moment when you see what's going on off the pitch before we finish up then League of Ireland we did a preview on the show at the start of the season you were hot on St. Patrick's Athletic who are now third in the table Shamrock Rovers, it seems inevitable that they're going to win this league because they haven't played to their potential, yet they are joint top with Sligo Rovers, who are the, not so, I'm not going to say they're the surprise package because I think we saw the saw the team that they were building and thought they were going to be quite good. But I guess Finn Harps, again, surprisingly good. Derry City, probably not as, uh, probably where we expected it to be under Declan Devine, but now Rory Higgins has taken over and they're they're starting to to pick up a bit of steam. So that's worrying signs for Finn Harps. It's worrying signs if uh, Dundalk started to pick up as well under Vinnie Perth. So what are you, what have you made of the League of Ireland season so far? So it's, it's obviously great to have fans back in the stadium as they are now. Yeah, like, and I think that's a good point. And, you know, the League of Ireland without fans, I mean, I know it's not massively well supported, but the, like I've been to quite a few of these games behind closed doors and like being honest like I wouldn't I wouldn't be pushed about going to them at all because it's fairly soulless so like the, a lot of the football over the last year like it's been eminently there hasn't been anyone there and from we've gone from a position of that Jordan Flores goal in Tala that was like almost the peak of the League of Ireland in recent years to then like there were no games after that and it's fallen into this kind of 
you know, week to week of, of games. I mean, even in the Premier League, I think people were getting a bit bored of these games behind closed doors. But uh, in terms of the league itself, it's been absolutely fascinating on, on one level because, you know, you would have thought when Shamrock Rovers beat St. Pat's, they hadn't really gotten going yet. It looked like the league was sort of over then, but they've had an unbelievable wobble since. It's hard mm. to put um, your finger on it, really. They just haven't been playing well. I think that some of the clubs you mentioned, like if Drogheda were to lose their management team, which could happen, um, you know, you'd imagine that they would suffer. Finn Harps possibly punching a bit above their weight, but because Watford have been so bad and Longford are just not a great side, it's it's given other clubs kind of that breathing space and it's hard enough to see anyone but those two finishing in the bottom two places. In terms of the title itself, because of Rovers wobbles and I, I I don't think I think it will be an open enough title race I certainly think Bowles could come into it the way they would if if if, the, if I made this point the other day if if the uh, league table were based on scores after 85 minutes Bowles would have 8 more points and Shamrock mm. Rovers would have 8 less points so that's hypothetical but Bowles have surrendered a lot of good positions late on and they should be higher in the table I think they can narrow the gap because I thought they were very good in Tala um, I thought they you know they should have gotten something against St. Pat's they've, good, they've been good against Dundalk they hammered Dundalk I think their Bowles are definitely getting there and I, I think the top three will be Bowles um, Rovers and Pats probably Rovers on top of the three of them um, if they get going the big one is how will Dundalk do you know they could maybe push for fourth place or something like that or Europe but I, I don't know it, 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 I, can't, I can't see how it gets any worse at Dundalk but I couldn't really have faith in Vinnie Perth getting the best out of them given the context of where we were 12 months ago mm, Yeah I, I think if you're looking at that the, the league as a whole Tim Clancy and his management staff would have been the first people I would have been going to if I were the owners of Dundalk because, I mean, what he's done with the club is outstanding. We said it on the show already in the preview that they were one of the best coach sides in the league and they, they still are now in the Premier Division. So I think they're, they're punching well above their weight, but because they have a really smart management uh, and they have a really smart recruitment this year as well, bringing in a couple of really important Premier Division players with experience. So I think they're really good Bohemians playing some exceptional football. I was actually at the Rovers Finn Harps game on in Tala last week and the um the atmosphere only had a thousand people at it, but the irrational logic of a football fan is hard to beat because every single decision was being questioned by the fans in the mm. stadium. So that I think that was I was actually laughing at one point in time at the ridiculousness of some of the things they were coming out with. But it was just like that's that's what football is, isn't it? Yeah. And they were they were obviously kind of just letting steam off after, you know, a year of kind of like uh I don't know, uh show a man his wife after getting out of jail for two years and you know he's gonna want to be uh be, be pretty uh you know nice to the wife, shall we put it that way. Yeah I should have mentioned Tim Clancy and Drada um, um, because you know they have been phenomenal. I think Drogheda have one advantage in that they're it's it's quite close to Dublin, so it's a little bit easier to get players maybe at a certain wage packet than the likes of Finn Harps. So I think that needs to be borne in mind. But I, I've 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 really I've said this a few times. I think there's some really really good coaching ability in the league. I think you know Stephen Bradley's done a great job at Shamrock Rovers, but I think between Stephen O'Donnell, Rory Higgins, um, Darren Doyle, even Anshin there, I think. Liam Buckley has done a great job at Sligo Rovers and Ollie Horgan like year in year out brilliant judge of a player as well you look at the background of Adam Foley joining uh, Finn Harps you know really really left field stuff and he's been absolutely brilliant for them the three top scorers in the League of Ireland either play for Drogheda or Finn Harps after 15 rounds of games which is absolutely bonkers considering their their um, kind of budgets or whatever so there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot going on but I think um getting fans back is just what's badly needed and I just hope that happens um, you know properly very soon because the league kind of has been limping along without them. 
Mm, absolutely. Johnny War from LOI Central, thanks for joining me tonight. No problem. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. So that's us done on Team 33. Thanks very much for listening. If you missed that chat and you want to listen back to any of it, you can get it in the OTB Podcast Network, which is available in the OTB Sports app. You can get that in your App Store or Play Store as well. That's where you can get all the off-the-ball material. You can read, you can watch, you can listen. All the stuff is there in the OTB Sports app and you can subscribe to the Team 33 channel as well and get notified every single time a podcast goes live. Join us again next week at 9pm on Friday night. But until then, Iowa, August Langefoil, take away Johan. 